John, thanks for reading Philippians 2. Uh, it's one of the lectionary texts for today. And another lectionary text is Mark 14. I'm going to be uh, looking at Mark 14, but I want to invite you to keep those words from Philippians 2 in your heart and mind as we explore Mark 14. This recognition that Jesus emptied himself, uh, poured himself out, uh, humbled himself. Uh, keep those thoughts in your heart and mind as we explore Mark 14. Uh, today is what we traditionally, in the Christian tradition, call Palm Sunday, commemorating the day Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And where we pick up in the story in Mark 14, Jesus has already entered Jerusalem on a donkey. That happened in Mark 11. So I want to invite you to imagine the context here. It's Passover time in Jerusalem. The streets are packed with festival goers, with people on pilgrimage, Roman soldiers. Uh, the atmosphere is absolutely electric. And in Mark 14, starting in verse one, the text says, now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away and the chief priests and teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. So uh, Passover just began yesterday, by the way, and will be celebrated until uh, Sunday, April 4th, which for us is Easter. Uh, Passover and Holy Week do not always fall in the same week, but they do this year. And the parallels between the two are remarkable. Passover celebrates God's liberation of the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt. And till this day, the story of the Exodus continues to be told around the table as Passover is celebrated. And in this text, we see it's Passover time. It's the biggest Jewish celebration and the religious leaders of Jesus's day want him dead. Jesus has just called them out of their, uh, uh, called them out for their abuse of power with his action in the temple courts, overturning tables, uh, prophetically naming the religious authorities as self-preservationists rather than shepherds caring for the people. They are obviously angry about that. However, they don't want to kill Jesus during Passover because there were these Jewish messianic expectations that were heightened during Passover time. And the city is crowded with people and they realize it would be better to wait till after the festival. The religious elite here are having an emergency meeting together. Uh, we see this kind of thing all the time in systems of, of power, political power, religious power, corporate power, emergency meetings to try and resolve issues that make them look bad. Jesus uh, has just made them look bad and they are not uh, particularly happy about this. Um, there's a way of living uh, that the religious, uh, the religious folks of Jesus's day have a decision to make, whether to preserve their power or live into the calling God has placed on them to be shepherds uh, and live with self-giving love. And the religious powers of Jesus's day are afraid that Jesus is amassing a following that will disrupt their power. 
and they have this emergency meeting in which they decide that the best way to move forward is not the way of self-giving love, but the way of preserving their position. And they resolve to kill Jesus. In the midst of this, Jesus retreats from the city for a bit and goes to Bethany, about two miles away from Jerusalem. And this is where we pick up the story in verse three. It says, while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. This is a radical story. Jesus is in the home of a leper, which was socially unthinkable at the time. And he's hanging out with a woman who's pouring a bottle of expensive perfume on his head. Jesus's way of being in the world was always challenging the social boundaries of his day. And it continues to challenge the social boundaries of the dominant culture of our day. This scene is yet another example of how Jesus's way of being in the world, this way of self-giving love, not self-preservation, was disorienting to those around him and disruptive to those in power. This act of anointing Jesus in this story is rich in, in so many ways. Kings are anointed. This messianic anointing is preparation not for the inauguration of a kingly reign, however, but rather preparation for death. Prophets in the Hebrew scriptures anointed the head of the king, but here it is a woman who acts as a prophet. It is a bold and dangerous act on her part, as well as his. In this telling of the story, uh, the woman's unnamed. John's telling of the story has it take place in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and it's Mary who anoints Jesus. Whatever the case, it's a bold and prophetic act on her part, revealing this woman's love, courage, and willingness to pour out all she has for the sake of Jesus. Verse four says, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Why this waste? It's a question about the perfume. But it's a larger question we often find ourselves asking. It's rooted in the fear that you give yourself to something or to someone and it will be a waste. It will end or it will go the way you don't want it to go. And the question will arise, did I waste my efforts? Could some of Jesus's followers be feeling they have wasted years following Jesus? And they place that feeling on this woman who has poured out a year's wages on Jesus's head. You give yourself to a relationship and they walk away. You pour yourself into your child and they choose a direction you don't approve of. Uh, and the question arises, did I waste my efforts. Why this waste? 
you pour yourself out in your artwork or music or business or ministry or some endeavor that you have given yourself to in painstaking ways and it doesn't go the way you had hoped. This haunting question, did I just give all that time, energy, money, resources for nothing? Then you go back in time and wonder if you would have done things differently. When we get plagued with the longing for a do-over, you can't go back. You didn't know then what you know now. You can't get a do-over just like you can't get the perfume back in the jar. The story is about this woman pouring out perfume on Jesus and the disciples questioning the waste, but it speaks to a much larger question. What is the perfume you are offering, even when others may see it as a waste? There's a fear that we will give ourselves to something that doesn't amount to anything. If you're like me, you have all this stuff, all these things, these relationships, etc., that you're pouring yourself into. And sometimes you wonder, am I wasting my time? Is this a waste? Is this worth it? There's a sense from those who see this act of love, this act of pouring out, that it is a waste. This woman empties the perfume bottle as a picture of emptying herself out which is what Jesus has been doing all along and what he will ultimately do on the cross. Self-emptying love is always the risky move and it is far more rewarding. This woman seems to be one of the first disciples to actually get this, one of the first disciples to actually live it. There is this universal human ache and question in the disciples' question about the perfume. Why this waste? That's how they see it. But then we find that Jesus sees it differently. In verse 6, Jesus says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Jesus believed that his coming death would be the action through which the world as a whole, including the world of poverty, would be put to rights. The fragrance is there for everyone to smell and enjoy. The woman's act of self-emptying is there for everyone to respect and be in awe of. How one reacts is essential to how one lives. Every person in that room had the opportunity to see the beauty of what was going on. Some, like the woman in Jesus, were aware, others were unaware. The life of self-preservation and fear will often lead to violence as we see in the case of the religious elite. I, I want to invite us to be aware 
of what fears are surfacing in our own lives that are a result of saying, I need to protect me. I need to look out for myself. Uh, Anthony DeMello once said, be aware of what you're saying. Be aware of what you're doing. Be aware of what you're thinking. Be aware of how you're acting. Be aware of where you're coming from, what your motives are. The unaware life is not worth living. Um, he, he went on to say that the three most difficult feats for a human being are not physical nor intellectual. They are returning love for hate, including the excluded, admitting you are wrong. We don't like to admit we're wrong. We live in a culture addicted to being right. And uh, yeah, just look at our, our own culture of politics and celebrities, uh, very little willingness to admit any sense of getting it wrong. There are two ways to approach life, love or fear. Uh, which will we choose? Jesus invites us into the way of love, a self-emptying, self-giving love that changes us and those around us and the world. Uh, Jesus proclaims this act by this woman of pouring out a year's wages as beautiful, as doing what she could, as a sacred act of worship. Jesus essentially says in response to the question, why this waste? He says, you are seeing this in terms of money and waste, but this isn't waste. This is a sacred moment. Her sacrifice makes it sacred. It's actually the excess of the sacrifice that makes it so beautiful and sacred. Jesus isn't rattled by this act. He finds the extravagance beautiful, spilling a year's wages on Jesus's head. Why this waste? For Jesus, it is not waste. Nothing is wasted in this life. When we are living from that place which is deepest within us, Jesus says, there is no wasted life. Uh, even in the little things, Yesterday, I was laying cement board in one of our rooms that we're going to put tile in, and I cut a corner wrong, and it felt like a complete waste. Waste of time measuring, waste of time cutting, waste of cement board, and I had to wrestle with why this waste? Uh, was it a waste, or was it an opportunity to recognize that even this moment is sacred? I can accept the mistake and embrace the work of my hands for my family and as sacred in God's sight. Or I can say, I just wasted my time and be hard on myself for the mistake. Uh, are the mistakes we make, the, the efforts we spend on things that later feel like errors, are they a waste? There are words we use to describe the heartaches of life. When relational or vocational things. We say, we use words like spent 
I, I spent so much time, spent so much effort, spent so much money. We use the word spent when it feels like we didn't get back what we spent. Uh, felt like no one cared or the person we invested in walked away or the thing we invested in didn't pay off. Where is God in the midst of it? Uh, reflect on that for a moment. What, what is God's invitation? What is God teaching us in these moments? We are invited to allow our losses, that which we've poured ourselves out for. We're invited to allow these moments to shape us and form us into the people we are becoming, into the people we are made to be. In God's realm, nothing gets wasted. There's perfume all over the floor, and for Jesus, it's not waste. There's perfume run, running down his neck and shoulders. That is what makes it sacred, holy, and divine, not a waste. There, there's so much perfume, the aroma is overwhelming. Uh, the aroma is so strong, people walking by outside can smell it. But we didn't even notice the aroma went that far. Uh, this is what Paul calls the aroma of Christ. May we be the aroma of Christ with perfume all over us, all over the floor, where people can smell it wherever we go. With Jesus, nothing gets wasted in the larger divine landscape that he lives and moves in. The fear is that we'll give our years to something and that they'll be wasted. That effort, that love, that time spent will be wasted, meaningless. But Jesus doesn't see it that way. It takes place in a larger unified whole. It all has its place in God. All of life is sacred, and we're invited to see it that way. God in us and through us. There is a oneness to all reality. It's all held together in and through Christ, as Paul tells us in Colossians 1. Everything belongs. Uh, we often live with these categories, good or bad, worthwhile or waste, good use of time, or I would never do that again. Uh, was it efficient or inefficient? It's not that these categories don't exist. They're real but the spiritual life transcends them. For many of us, the dualities battle it out and we're constantly evaluating. I know I am, uh, but for Jesus, Christ is all and in all. So these categories are helpful at one level, but they're not everything. Efficiency may not be God's highest goal for your life. Think about that for a moment. Efficiency may not be God's highest goal for your life. High levels of production may not be God's highest goal for your life. Success in the world's eyes may not be God's highest goal for your life. 
when the perfume is poured, the intention and the act is sacred. When you pour out your life, it is sacred. Doing what she did has other value other than profit and efficiency. The question, what have you accomplished, can become a god. The divine takes on flesh and blood. Uh, was that a waste? So much energy God expends to show us a different way of being human and we often miss it. This notion that a successful life is full of metrics and, and it, that it must be measurable, uh, then Jesus's life was largely unsuccessful. Jesus comes to free us from the idea that production, achievement, and accomplishments are God's highest ideals for our lives. Uh, I can't think of an accountant that would say, great choice to pour out your life savings, your time and your energy into that. And yet Jesus insists that God is in the midst of it and it's sacred. We can so quickly say in judgment and criticism like the men in that room, why this waste? How often do we rush in with decisive announcements about things? Is there something else going on that we are not yet aware of? You may be saying, why this waste about something in your life? And the spirit is saying, it is sacred, it is beautiful, it is good. Jesus teaches us to pay attention to what we've poured ourselves into and feel like we didn't get the result we wanted. There is something sacred there to be aware of. Your sacrifice makes it sacred. We have more control over our intentions and actions than we realize, and way less control over the outcomes. So throw yourself into it, give yourself fully to it, and recognize that you don't have control of the outcomes, but the pouring yourself out is sacred. Is there something you've poured yourself into and you feel like it was a waste. You feel like it didn't turn out the way you'd hoped. It's frustrating. The sacrifice makes it sacred. Offer it to God. Release the pain. Jesus teaches us to see all of life as a sacred offering to God, even when it feels like a waste. The extravagance of this woman is only a glimmer of the extravagant love of God for the world revealed in and through Jesus. Jesus, full of love, grace, and compassion in the midst of what would look scandalous and what looks like a waste. This woman understands following Jesus means pouring out herself for the sake of others. She has an expansive imagination of who Jesus is and what he came to do, to be broken and poured out 
for the sake of the world. And Jesus says to those criticizing her, leave her alone. What she's done is beautiful. She did what she could. That's all. She did what she could. As Mark 14 continues, Judas leaves this gathering and he goes to the religious authorities and betrays Jesus for 20 pieces of silver. The contrast is glaring. A a woman who pours out a year's wages on Jesus's head and a disciple who has followed Jesus for three years sells him out for a mere 20 pieces of silver. Then Jesus and the disciples return to Jerusalem to have the Passover meal together. And we pick up the story in verse 22 of Mark 14, and they're sitting around having the Passover meal together. And while they're eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus' last days are filled with intense drama. Jesus is facing heart-wrenching circumstances. There is a conspiracy on the one hand with the religious and political figures, and there is betrayal, denial, and abandonment from his closest friends who he had spent three years mentoring into a community of love. In the midst of all this going on, Jesus takes bread and pours out wine into a cup and says, this is my blood poured out for you. Just as the woman had poured out a year's wages, Jesus says, I'm going to pour out my life for you. Would it be a waste? Would these last three years have been a waste? As they sit around that table and the story of the Exodus is told, Jesus says, I am about to enact a new Exodus and with it a whole new creation will be bursting forth right in the midst of this one. Jesus was broken and poured out and it was not a waste. We are invited to follow the way of Jesus and be broken and poured out for the sake of the world. And it is not a waste. Nothing is wasted. All of life is sacred. When we celebrate this Eucharist, this good gift, we reenact the way of Jesus, the way of the cross, We're invited into this way of living, of self-giving love as a community. The way of Jesus cannot be lived alone. When we partake of the bread and the poured out wine, we recognize the mystery that life comes from death. This is the cycle that God has hardwired into the universe that somehow out of pain, suffering, and death, life 
emerges. Somehow out of what feels like a waste, growth comes. Somehow out of that which looks like it was poured out for nothing, a whole new way of life becomes possible. When we break ourselves open and pour ourselves out, Jesus invites us to come and eat and drink of this mystery and to keep doing it until he drinks it anew with us. What is the invitation from Jesus to you today? Where is Jesus inviting you to pour yourself out and to come eat and drink and be filled back up? What in your life might feel like it has been a waste? Come hear the voice of Jesus say, nothing is wasted. All of life is sacred to me. If you have with you uh, bread and juice, I invite you to join us in partaking of these very sacred and very earthy elements. Uh, Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Out of death came the wheat that produced the flour that made the bread. Out of death comes something that is life-giving. The same with the fruit of the vine. This is the pattern of the universe, death and rebirth, loss and renewal. So join me in this mystery, this good gift that Jesus left us. Uh, back to Mark 14, 22, when they were eating, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And when he had given thanks, he said to his disciples, take it. This is my body given for you. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for you. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in the kingdom of God. Jesus came and showed us a better way to live, one that includes our own dying to the self so that we can truly live, one that shows us how to live by giving ourselves away, a life that shows us in God's economy, nothing is wasted. And then after they had this meal, verse 26 says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And in that tradition, uh, we will now close our time by singing together.